Okay. Um, well, I want to honour Adrienne, who's got something to say. Uh, and we need a microphone. I think it kind of um, follows on from what we've heard already this morning, really. But um, in the middle of the week, I was feeling a bit grumpy and I was feeling a bit weighed down by some things. We have a word for it in our family. We call it being gruntled. <laughs> and um, I decided that perhaps it would be good to go out for a walk. And uh, what I was going to call a kind of Thanksgiving, what I was going to make myself think of some things to be thankful for. To kind of, And I headed uphill. I think it was kind of like a prophetic thing. I needed to get some perspective. And I started to walk. And the truth is, saints, I didn't get very far. I got as far as thinking, the living God loves me, and I'm forgiven. And I didn't get any further. I could have gone into all sorts of things. And I just felt overwhelmed by afresh of how God loves me and has forgiven me. And I felt ashamed of how I lose sight of that. And I just felt that God wanted to restore the joy of our salvation to us. And um, I guess it wasn't just for me. Yeah, great. Well, that seems like a really good goal for the next half hour or so, isn't it? Some joy. Well, I'm hoping that that will be the case. Um, You can see that what's been here behind us all morning and is now at the sides is a picture that shows uh, what our series through this autumn has been all about, about being forged into God's image. And my theme for this morning, as I was given, he said clicking, there we go, is forged to relate to God. Well, and then I thought the word forged sounds a little bit harsh when talking about relationships, so I've changed it uh, to that instead. There we go, that we are as uh, people made for love. That is, if we're not loved, then something's up and we feel it. We're made for love. That reference there at the bottom is to Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where there's the second of two creation stories at the beginning of the Bible. There's two creation stories which contrast somewhat with each other. And in the second one, there's this wonderful bit where actually after Adam and Eve have already started to do some things that they shouldn't have done, uh, there's a window on what God wants. It says in Genesis 3 and verse 8 that the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from him, but the Lord called out, where are you? Just a little picture of the fact that as people right there at the beginning, in the beginning, right at the beginning of this story, we were made for love, made for relationship, made for relationship with God that What he wants to do is to spend time with us. That's how Jenny kicked us off this morning, explaining that this morning would be focusing on relationship with God. And what I want to do this morning is to underline as well as I can the fact that the Christian faith is all about relationship. If that's the one thing that you go home thinking was said this morning, I'll be pleased. I'm also hoping that you'll feel pretty good about that by the time we're done. I'm going to run through five ingredients of that simple statement that the Christian life is all about relationship. Explore several different ingredients that make good relationships and think together about how those relate to a relationship with God. So here's the first thing, which is that in relationships, we reveal ourselves. In relationships, we reveal ourselves. Um, Philosophy 
and that particular offshoot of philosophy called scientific method are brilliant for discerning patterns in, in the world that we experience, and they're brilliant for working out how things work. But the plain fact is that philosophy and science are just not up to the task of working out people. Uh, I saw something posted online this week by an Italian friend, and I know we've got a whole number of non-Brits here, and this is something about the foreigner's experience of Britain. I, I just wonder whether you would relate to this, whether you're trying to work out whether a British person actually likes you. So the first thing is, I'm sorry the text's a little bit small, so some of you may struggle to read it, but I will read it aloud. Um, Are they always super-duper extra nice to you? That means they hate you. Uh, Are they just just normal levels of nice towards you? That means they do like you. A little kind of cultural introduction here. If you've just arrived in the country then you are so lucky to be going through this this morning. It will save you so much grief. Do they verbally abuse you and make jokes at your expense? They're your best friend. That's true. That's how Britain works. Have they ever told you to their face that they don't like you? They're not British. True fact. Uh, And do they avoid you and blank you at all costs? means they're probably in love with you. Uh, Some British people seem to also realise that's what we're like. The point I'm trying to make is just that it can be really hard to work out what's going on inside other people. And we, if we're going to make relationships work, we rely on people at some point speaking plainly, revealing to us who they are, showing us what they're really like. So here's a question. Does the power behind the universe have anything to say to us? Does the power behind the universe have anything to say to us or about us? Well, the first time in the Bible that God is recorded explaining himself, this is what he said, and he said it to Moses. He says, he declares his name, which is the Lord, and he says, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. So all relationships, they they require something to be said (laughs) if they're going to work, if we're going to understand what's really in the other person's heart. And here's what God, not merely the power behind the universe, but the person behind the universe says. He says, I love you. Abounding in love. Maintaining love. I love you. And uh, as I've said, philosophy and science, which are very wonderful for many purposes, are simply not capable of working that out. It's not something you could deduce. It needed to be revealed. So that's the first thing. In relationships, we reveal ourselves. The second thing, relationships are energized by desire. So the first thing about the Christian faith as relationship is that it requires something to be said. And the second thing is that God wants us. God wants us. Jesus told a story to try to help people understand this this revelation that God, 
person behind the universe would want us. It's the story of the prodigal son that you may well be familiar with. And uh, I want to read to you uh, a similar story told by a guy called Floyd McClung, who spent his years in Amsterdam working with people who had uh, mostly gone to Asia to find cheaper versions of drugs and other kinds of pleasures, got a bit broken by that and found themselves in Amsterdam as probably the, the most obvious home for them in Europe. And uh, this is a story that he told of a guy called Sawat, who was from Thailand, was himself uh, from... Uh, do you, was a Thai? That just never sounds right to say, does it? He was Thai. Oh, that's better, is it? Okay, good. Good. It's good to be a team. Um, and this guy had gone to Bangkok to try to make a name for himself and had ended up working in the sex industry as a pimp. It's estimated that 10% of all Thai girls end up as prostitutes. It's a massive amount of money involved. And he got involved in that life of crime. And then it all fell apart and he ended up living in a rubbish dump. At which point, this is how the story goes. Sitting in his little shack, he thought about his family especially his father, would his father still receive him after all that he'd done to shame the family name? Would he receive him home after he'd disregarded all that he'd been taught? Because word had long ago filtered back to his village about his life of crime. So he devised a plan and he wrote a letter. Dear father, he wrote, I want to come home, but I don't know if you'll receive me. After all that I've done, I've made some great mistakes. Please forgive me. On Saturday night, I'll be on the train which goes through our village. If you're still waiting for me, will you tie a piece of cloth on the po tree in front of our house? During the train ride, he thought over his life of crime. He knew his father had every right to refuse to see him. And as the train finally neared the village, he was filled with anxiety. What would he do if there was no cloth on the tree? Sitting opposite Sawat was a stranger who'd noticed how nervous his fellow passenger had become and asked him how he was. Finally, Sawat could stand it all no longer, and the story burst out in a torrent of words. And he said to the man as they neared the village, oh, I can't bear to look. Can you watch for me? What if my father won't have me back? Sawat buried his face between his knees. Do you see it? It's the only house with a poetry. The stranger said, Young man, your father didn't hang one piece of cloth on the tree. Look, he's covered the whole tree with pieces of white cloth. And he's dancing up and down, standing in front of it, joyously waving a piece of white cloth. His father ran beside the train, and when it stopped at the little station, he threw his arms around his son, embracing him with tears of joy, saying, I've been waiting for you. Jesus told a very similar story, and it's a revelation of what, what God is like. Not just that we say, Father God, Heavenly Father, and it trips off the tongue, but what kind of father? The father who waits for us, a father who wants us. Relationships are energized by desire. And the Christian life is energized by the reality that God longs for us. He longs for us. We know that Jesus said 
about the people around him, even though they'd done some pretty cruel things, that he longed to be close to them. It's in Matthew 23 and verse 37. This is what he said in the context of a life lived out in Israel. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you weren't willing. So relationships reveal something of ourselves in relationships. They're energized by desire, and the story of the Bible is that God longs for us. He has a desire. He has a desire, and it's for us. Here's the third thing. Um, That is a mobile phone. Uh, relationships require forgiveness. It would be insane to suggest that we can relate to each other without forgiveness. Uh, Bev and I have been married 22 years. I still need forgiving for leaving wet towels on the bed. Um, Yeah, I know. I think it's probably a sin. More than that, there there are all the things I failed to do Things like taking time to listen to Bev, when any half-intelligent man would know how much of it is, how much of a privilege it is to be the man she wants to talk to, that, that kind of thing. So when we come to consider relationship with God, of course forgiveness is a feature. Of course it is. It's a feature of all relationships. And so in 1 John 1, verses 8 and 9, the reference that's on the screen, it says this, if we claim to be without fault then we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. But if we confess our faults, he, that is God, is faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive us. Of course, forgiveness is a feature of relationships. Of course, we may face the complex question of whether we need to forgive God for making a world in which people suffer. Um, Maybe that troubles you. We'll come back to questions in just a few minutes. But however much we may be perplexed by that question, I don't see how there can be any doubt at all that we would need to be forgiven regularly and often for a relationship with God to work. I sometimes have reason to wonder how Bev can continue to forgive me. How on earth can we know that the person behind the universe will forgive us, will keep inviting us back into relationship, even when we've been displeasing. Well, that's why Christians are so focused on what happened when Jesus died. We sang earlier about the cross. Thank you for the cross. We sang about blood, because that's relevant to the cross. And that might have seemed a bit odd if you didn't understand that that's a centerpiece for the Christian faith, because it was a most, most uncommon death that Jesus died, having a number of unusual, even unique features. Here's one thing. Jesus volunteered for this death. That's unusual. He volunteered to go to Jerusalem knowing that he would be killed. For months beforehand, he'd been talking to those he loved about laying his life down for those he loved. He volunteered for this. Secondly, uh, and this is not only unusual, but unique. 
that he was innocent of any wrongdoing, absolutely didn't deserve to die. Not only was he innocent of the crime that he'd been charged with, but, you, but innocent of all accusations, uniquely innocent as a human being. And another thing that makes this entirely unique is that for him, death, this death was not the end. He later appeared to many people after dying, the resurrected Christ. See, sometimes you need to break something in order to fix things. Sometimes you need to break something in order to fix things. And that's what was going on in the death of Christ. Jesus was willing to be broken in his death in order to see things fixed for people. His volunteering for this makes it clear that he was willing to suffer for other people's good. His innocence makes it clear that he was willing to pay other people's dues. And his resurrection makes it clear that he will not allow evil to triumph in the end. That's why we get excited about the cross, because it it means all of these things. And I could have spoken all morning about the many things that that death means, complex and rich and powerful. It means we can have confidence that we'll be forgiven. How on earth could we believe that the person behind the universe will forgive us, will keep inviting us back into relationship? Well, it's because of the cross, which opened a way for everyone who wishes to come into a secure relationship with the power behind the universe, with the person behind the universe. So let's recap a little bit. The Christian life is about relationship with God, and in relationships, they require us to reveal ourselves God has spoken. Relationships are energized by desire. God wants us. Relationships require forgiveness. And God has made a way to assure us that he will forgive as as needed. Now, that forgiveness, it's really just the tip of the iceberg of all the good things that happen in a personal relationship with God. You know, people who start a relationship with God are normally happy about it. Here's a picture of someone looking happy. Uh, being baptized by the Archbishop of York. Uh, it must be a proper baptism because it's in Yorkshire. So they do things properly. There's no Yorkshire... There no, yeah, there we go. I knew there'd be someone from Yorkshire that knew that was how it worked. Um, but looking happy... Starting a relationship with God, which is what baptism is all about. People who start a relationship with God are normally very happy about it. It's common for people who begin a friendship with God to be overwhelmed by the power of his forgiving them. And even years later, as Adrienne was saying this morning, still touching our hearts, renewing joy in us to know that, that we're forgiven. And such people say things like, I feel clean inside in a way that I've never known before. Is that normal? Yes, it is when you enter a relationship with God. People say things like, I now have a focus, a guiding light, and an inner peace. In a relationship with God, you get prayers answered. Not all of them as you'd hoped, but you do get prayers answered, and that counts for a lot. You sense his presence so that you know you're never alone. Loneliness is gone. From, yeah, the kind of blackness 
that can consume people. Loneliness is such an epidemic today. Um, but you sense God's presence and you know that you're never alone. Um, you gain power over addictions <laughs> and other destructive habits. You find new brothers and sisters from a huge range of ethnic backgrounds. You experience a mystical reality called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which honestly feels a bit like being made into a superhero. <laughs> um, possibly, you know, clumsy superheroes at times, but nonetheless finding that we're able to do things that we couldn't do before because there's a new life and power in us. You know, um, if it seems strange to you that Christians would believe in a resurrection, the scripture says that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead now lives in us. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is like. And when there's that new power in life, in, it's like in you. It's not something that someone's just talking about. But you know it's in you and you're becoming a person you weren't before. And you've, it, you, you know this isn't just you because you've lived being you for quite a while. And now there's something different going on. The resurrection makes a whole load more sense. It resonates with what we know because of what we're experiencing. Now then, here's another thing about relationships. Relationships thrive on honest questions. I said we'd come back to questions. What I've just described about a personal relationship with God is a whole world of goodness. If someone offered me, and feel free to do this, by the way, if someone offered me something way better than I'd expected and genuinely life-transforming, feel free, um, I don't know, like an all-expenses-paid year-long round-the-world trip. You know, something like that. Feel free. <laughs> um, I'd ask two questions, at least two questions. One question would be, is this legit? Like, does this stack up? Is it real? Am I going to get stranded somewhere? Um, are you paying for the health insurance too? You know, those kinds of things. Is this, is this going to work? Is this legit? Does it stack up? The second kind of question to ask would be, is it ethical? Carbon footprint and um, the kind of uh, tourism that doesn't always do local communities good. Is it going to be ethical? It's good to ask questions. Uh, relationships as well thrive on honest questions. Obviously, the Christian faith, the Christian life, is sometimes being caricatured as a blind faith, uh, one that involves putting our head in the sand and not listening to the questions. But I, I mean, I hope that a brief roll call of Christian intellectuals will help a bit with answering that. Um, William of Ockham, who he? Well, Occam's razor, the foundation of scientific method, or actually the uh, doing away with teleological thinking in philosophy as well. An Oxford man, by the way. Well, actually an Occam man, presumably, but he spent a bit of time in Oxford. Uh, you're not impressed by William of Occam. I've got three people are impressed by William of Occam, and the rest of you are like, oh, whatever. Maybe you'll have heard of some of these other ones. Uh, Francis Bacon, Isaac Newton, Galileo, René Descartes, Michael Faraday, Gregor Mendel, Louis Pasteur, Johannes Kepler, Max Planck. Not to mention those who served in the face of poverty and injustice, such as Mother Teresa and Martin Luther King. 
These are the kinds of people that asked questions and found that their Christian faith stacked up. Uh, I could list many other people, but hopefully, if any of those names resonate for you, it makes it clear that this thing about questions means the followers of Christ don't have anything to fear from honest questioning. Indeed, since we're thinking about relationships this morning, relationships, they thrive on honest questions. In the relationships that we have, we might ask honest questions like, do you still love me? Do you really mean what you said last night? How much shall we spend on our Christmas presents? Why haven't you put the rubbish out yet? If we don't ask questions, we won't understand each other well. If we don't ask questions, we'll never have much of a relationship. Uh, You probably have some questions that you would want to ask the person behind the universe. Now, for some of us here, uh, those are questions that you expect to work out within a personal relationship with God. For others there are some questions that you would want to have answered before you would feel confident to embrace that relationship in the same way that I'd want some questions about legitimacy and ethics answered before I got on the first plane of a round-the-world trip. Uh, Incidentally, on this point of relationships thriving on honest questions, it's worth just noting, especially to those of you that are younger, that questions never end. There's this funny idea that you can have, forgive me, but especially when you're a bit younger, that, um, that one day you'll have enough of your questions answered that somehow there's a stock of important questions in life which you'll gradually work your way through to the point where there's not many left and then you can be confident. And I, I'm looking this way slightly because this is where youth and vitality sits. Uh, it, doesn't work that, it, it doesn't work that way. Um, I can't find who the quote's from, but I did read somewhere something that is true, that the answer to a question is the father of a whole new family of questions. There you go. Everyone who's a little bit older is nodding, saying, yes, that is how it works. So um, what you do as life goes on is you get different questions, you get better and richer questions, but you don't reduce the stock of questions this thing happens that your genuine knowledge increases and your range of questions also increases, both and. It's not that one goes up and the other goes down, they just both go up. And thankfully, relationships thrive on honest questions. Questions are good. If you try to get all of your questions answered before you start a relationship, you'll die lonely. Which takes us to the final point, that relationships, he said clicking, require choice. I'm still clicking, and it will occur. There we are. Relationships require choice. I love hearing stories about marriage proposals. Um, There are three couples that have got engaged in the church here recently, which is wonderful. And what I've observed, having heard the stories of marriage proposals over the years, is that generally the level of romance in them increases with the age of the person asking. Uh, So I proposed to Bev at the age of 21 in a car park. (laughs) 
Um, I can't see Adam and Grace here this morning who got engaged just recently. They're a little bit older, a few more years' life experience. Adam flew Grace to Guernsey and proposed, proposed on a beach. So it's better. It's, it's, that's, that's quite a lot better, isn't it? Well done, Adam. Uh, and perhaps that's why Grace said yes, and Bev said, I'm not sure. You'll have to... She said, you'll have to explain why that's a good idea. So I explained. <laughs> At some point in all relationships, we, we face a choice. Are we going to opt in? At some point when hopefully a bunch of questions have been answered, but of, co- of course they've not all been answered, when we've heard something, learned something, got to know a little bit about a person, it's worth now making this choice. I think I, think I can say yes to at least starting this relationship. So I'd like to finish just by naming a few responses that different people here might like to make, uh, having spent about 35, 40 minutes talking about this offer of a relationship with God. If you're a Christian already, and uh, you already, like Adrienne, saying, I love God, I, I, I know what it is to have that change on the inside, inside out, and uh, my question for you would simply be, are you giving time to enjoy that relationship uh, just as much as you can? Jenny started us off this morning saying that this morning provided an opportunity to just spend time. If you're a Christian, are you enjoying that relationship as much as you could? Because it's there to be enjoyed, and God wants you. And you know that, because every time you turn to prayer or turn to worship, you find, ah, it's not hard to get to the presence of God. It's not hard to know his spirit alive in us. It's not hard. And there's an invitation. Make the most of it. If you are engaged or intrigued by the idea of a relationship with God, but simultaneously skeptical and or critical, um, I would suggest it could be a good choice for you to find a way to explore those questions and and to check out whether this offer of a relationship with God is legit and ethical. Because it would be a real shame to miss out on it by lazily assuming that it's not and discovering later that it was legit and good. Uh, Finally, there may well be some people who actually, right at this moment, right now, think, you know what, too right, It's time for me to start a relationship with God. I don't think I've had one before, but it's time to start one. Well, you can do that this morning. And so in a moment, what I'm going to do uh, for your sake is I'm going to lead us in a simple prayer. I'm going to put it on the screen and give you a moment to read it. And then I'm going to pray it aloud. And if you would like to pray it along with me, then actually it's a prayer that can be prayed by people who've prayed that kind of prayer before as well. So you won't be alone. Um, And then after we've prayed that prayer, two things are going to happen. We're going to watch a video um, that will be of interest to the skeptical and critical, but who are intrigued or engaged by the idea of this relationship with God. Um, And then I think we might sing a final song. We are going to sing a final song. Okay, here's the prayer. Take a moment to read it, and then we'll pray together.
So you can join with me speaking aloud or just praying these things through in the silence of your own mind. That's got, amazingly, God knows these knows that we're praying. So here we go. Dear God, thank you that you love me and want me to be your friend. I want to be your friend too. I recognize that you are and will always be the senior one in this friendship. And so I choose for you to be the leader. Please help me to follow you. I want to spend my life discovering more of your love and I'm willing to change to make that work well. Please forgive my past mistakes. Thank you that you died for me. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Amen.